This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe she's having the baby right now. Oh, my Christ. Megan, would you mind just doing that on the podcast? <laughs> Wait, can she hear us? <laughs> I don't think I don't think she can hear us. I love you're just fucking full on talking to her. <laughs> well, if she can hear us, I want her to feel welcome. Welcome to give birth on our show. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but <laughs> It's us. Uh, I thought since we record um, this podcast like a week or two before it actually airs, it would be fun to sort of discuss where we are in the world today. Um, it's like what? It's two days, but yet also four years after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's December 27th as we're recording this. Megan Phillips is our guest today. She um, is very pregnant. So she's still at this moment only has one child on the outside. Um, <laughs> Ilaria Baldwin is uh, being dragged on Twitter for pretending to be Spanish. Um, <laughs> I missed and, this whole thing because I was at work today. Is that oh, what the deal is? Yes. Yes. Oh apparently her actual name is Hillary. She's a white lady that grew up in Boston. <laughs> oh my God. And, but does, does speak Spanish. Um, Did they find like a bunch of pictures of her with dunks or something? <laughs> Like, um, I don't even know where it came from. Someone just mentioned it on Twitter, I think. Oh my god! Like around Christmas, four years ago and two days ago, um, and then people just like went nuts about it. You know, people get when they're looking for looking for the grift. Who doesn't love a good grift? Sure. That's about it. What? Anything else, you guys, going on oh right god. now that we should mention <laughs> in the world today? Uh, I have no idea, Lindsay. I have no idea what's happening. I'm st- I'm just staring at the washer dryer. Okay, so I'm going to translate that. Alex is like the rest of us living in a pandemic. There you go. Okay. Well, with us today, as I mentioned, is Megan Phillips. She is a 2020 National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellow. Her flash fiction chapbook, Abstinence Only, is available from Barrel House Books. Her short fiction has been anthologized in Best Microfiction 2019 and 2020 and the Best Small Fictions 2019. She lives in Mannheim, Pennsylvania with her husband and kids, and she works for a public library. Welcome, Megan. Welcome, hey. Megan. Hi. I'm so happy. <laughs> we're yeah, so we're happy. happy. We love you. you, and we love your work. Big time. 
When are you due? I'm due January 4th. Wow. Yeah. So it's really in the final countdown stages right now. Oh my goodness. How do you feel? Gigantic. (laughs) (laughs) I get winded putting pants on. So um, (laughs) I'm, I am both ready and not ready to have another baby in the house. I can remember being pregnant, hugely pregnant and crying because I, had to put socks on and I just didn't want to put socks on. <laughs> oh my god. It's probably the hardest thing I do every day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's very unfair. There should be a sock machine. Um we love to start each episode with our guests reading us a little something. Are you ready for that? I am. I I told Alex I would do this and now I'm regretting it, but I'm going to read <laughs> from my novel. Yes. yes that is um it's just this is the beginning um and it is tentatively called how can i miss you if you won't go away yes. uh, friday i was cleaning out my mom's apartment while aunt was robbing a bank i didn't know this until later while i was making keep toss donate piles of my dead mom's stuff she was just three blocks away a fake ass easy top-looking beard covering her face and a spray-painted water gun tucked into the waistband of her jeans, holding up the Washington Street Bank of Western Alliance Bank. I imagine the four minutes it took her to get out of there with $1,200 in a plastic grocery tote. I imagine my own four minutes, those same four minutes, putting my mom's jean shorts and yoga pants and t-shirts into a trash bag. I imagine her four minutes and my four minutes playing out in split screen, a timer ticking away that hours, minutes, seconds at the top of the screen. A countdown can make anything dramatic. I mean, look at what it's done for New Year's Eve. Will she pull it off? We are rooting for Ann in this scenario. Will she pull it off? I have hidden myself under a blanket because even pretending that people watching me, people are watching me cry and lick snot off my top lip is too much. It's very tense, very 24. Or maybe it's like that killer song. Now I'm folding a shirt and she's wearing a beard while I'm smelling a shoe and she's robbing a bank, a kind of back and forth. (laughs) Cut to me shoving a handful of sports bras into a bag. Cut to aunt sliding her demands across the counter to the teller. Cut to me standing in the middle of the living room, staring at the wall, a single sock in my hand. Cut to aunt slow motion, pushing through the bank's plate glass door, grocery bag full of money, heavy in her grip. The mundanity of grief, the glamor of crime. One thing I didn't know about grief is how boring it is. I didn't know I would spend the first days of my life without my mom in a series of cinder block rooms under bad fluorescence, filling out paperwork, talking to the police. Grief was paperwork and stale coffee in tiny styrofoam cups. I didn't think about how awkward it would be to call Kevin and tell him I couldn't make it to my shift because my mom was killed while out walking her dog. To have to make that same call to Talisa. I didn't know how to respond to texts from the Starbucks crew or my student workers at the library. What do you even say to sorry about your mom texts? Thanks, sad face emoji. How could I have known that being in a dead person's apartment is kind of like staying homesick from school? You're surrounded by the same things you always are. Same beige couch, same bulky TV. But they seem different because it's Tuesday and you'd usually be halfway through Algebra 2, but instead you're watching Golden Girls and drinking Purple Gatorade. Only you're not homesick. You're not a kid. You're an adult, kind of, with three part-time jobs and a dead mom. And you have to go back to work, like, tomorrow. 
I'll stop there. Oh my God. <laughs> I was honestly riveted. And I also just want to point out, Megan, that you, you were laughing at your own, <laughs> like, and, and I am so in love with that. I just, totally because it was really funny. And I love that you know that absolutely it is delightful i've never read it out loud so actually i was like i was really teased by it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know i felt like it was a moment where you were like surprised by how funny it was yeah Yeah. i was actually i love it i love that i that's the kind of that's the kind of you know we talk all the time about like finding ways to surprise yourself and that Mm -hmm. is a beautiful example yeah i was right there with you the whole time i keep going on that one for sure yeah i sort of i was telling alex this too that i'm sort of like so i haven't worked on this since last february wow um when everything sort of started to fall apart mm-hmm. and um but i am sort of in love with this narrator and i think about her all the time even though i haven't worked on anything so i'm like it's probably a sign i should not abandon her yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I think it's a huge sign because, I mean, so you haven't worked on it since February, but have you worked on it lately? If I work on it, I opened the Google Doc and I looked at it and yes. I probably like, no, that moved, a, moved sure. a comma around. Yes. <laughs> then yes. Because yes. you're checking in. You're keeping, you know, you're keeping, you know, a connection to it. Um, yeah, I was just, the only reason I asked you that is because I was going to say it definitely makes sense, you know, that, that you're not giving up on it because... She's basically screaming at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Oh, that's so exciting. Because I feel like sometimes writing feels like you're just dragging a dead body around. Mm-hmm. Or two. And you're like, live, live, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I would be one of those people who's like, my characters talk to me. Because um, <laughs> they don't for the oh. most part. And so I don't feel like, so her name is, is Petey. And I don't necessarily feel like she talks to me, but I just, I think I like worry about her. I'm like, yeah. oh man, I wonder how Petey's doing. <laughs> yes. I just think that's such a good sign. Absolutely. Thank you. If you're not working on this, are you working on some other stuff? I know that life has been crazy. You have a little child, you have um, a baby on the way. So I'm not asking you this in any sort of like, why aren't you working? I'm just, we're just genuinely curious about what your, what your life looks like. Um, I feel like I'm, I, when I, when I say stuff like I'm, I'm working on a story or like I'm, I'm, I'm writing, it usually means like I'm thinking about stuff. Yes. Mm. Yes. And I feel like uh, the majority of my writing work is in the time where I'm thinking about things and mulling things over and sort of uh, doing like peripheral things related to Mm -hmm. story ideas or like what, what would that be? Um, like I have a whole, you know, like everybody, I have like 8 million bookmarks, um, from websites. So I have like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that's not like a really embarrassing thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I have it. Um, uh, so like I, I'm trying to write this story about like a woman who's having an affair with a ghost of a rock star who's vaguely based on Warren Zavon. Right. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. So okay, you been... mentioned, did, didn't we just talk about this today or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. We were yeah, texting. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. We were texting right. about it. So I've right. been listening, I've been listening to like a ton of Warren Zavon, like I normally do, but um, 
with intent <laughs> and um, thinking about, I feel so bad because it's like, you know, I'm in the car with my son and he's like, I want cars. I want Lightning McQueen song. And I'm like, listen, mommy, mommy has to listen to Desperados Under the Eaves again. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like, mommy can't listen to you right now. I'm thinking of the mechanics of ghost sex. Like, um, I need some time to think about what it would mean for a ghost to take corporeal form and go down on you. So like, I just need five minutes, dude. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know. It's like that, you know, you're driving. Um, I'm trying to think of other times when I have like a minute to myself, it, it would be normally like I'm driving. Um, and I, I just sort of think I listen. Um, I read, you know, articles, um, I watch bad television. So you pull from the outside for a lot of your stuff, it sounds like. I feel like there's stuff in my head and often it, it doesn't click until there's something outside of me that makes it click for me mm-hmm. in a way that um, it wouldn't have happened sort of under my own steam. Or the things that have felt the clickiest, the moments where I can say like, I had a literal like, aha about an idea. Um, I guess I can tell this story, um, but I have, I wrote a story about um, like being Bloody Mary in like the sort of like Tim Allen Santa Claus way that like somehow <laughs> you can replace Bloody Mary <laughs> and you don't know necessarily how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been trying to write that story for a long time and I couldn't figure out how to get at it. Mm-hmm. And I was driving home from work and I was listening to the radio and uh, I heard, uh, was it Till Tuesday, Voices Carry? Mm. Sure, and, Amy Mann. Yeah, Amy Mann, baby Amy Mann. And what yes. it reminded me that when I was a kid, I thought the words were, hush, hush, keep it down now, this is scary. Oh, yeah. <sighs> and that's like what sort of unlocked the whole story for me. Oh, Whoa. Wow. Um, and so I don't get those moments really anymore with a two and a half year old Yeah. Um, where I can just like allow myself to experience stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not necessarily one specific thing. It's, you know, I keep, I take notes on my phone when I watch Star Trek because mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Star Trek, but like, there's always something that reminds me of something I, you know, I love listening to the radio I love the randomness of it. Oh my God. I love the, I keep thinking about that as far as like future generations in the radio. Like I feel like all these radio, like is what (laughs) raised me. It's like how I learned about so much stuff and just, yeah, the randomness of it getting thrown at you. It's, I feel like boomer sad for people who aren't going to grow up on all these radio, like a 70 year old man. No. Oh yeah. I was for years. My favorite band was the beach boys because that's like, I listen to the oldie stations and um, my dad is a big, like my dad's a deadhead. It's so like, you mm-hmm. know, listening to the grateful dead. And I listen to Warren Zavon cause my dad had the excitable boy oh, yes. record yes. that was like up with the records that people were allowed to touch, not down in the basement <laughs> with like the records that were too <laughs> special to touch. Oh my God. Um, and so like my dad in a lot of ways like that, access to music that access to books in our home my mom was a 
when I was growing up was an eighth grade English teacher and she oh, would cool. um, just tell me Edgar Allan Poe stories and tell me oh, Greek myths yes. oh while God. we were like washing the dishes or stuff. Um, and my parents really were never hung up about like that book is not age appropriate. They were just like, just read dude. Like you can pull stuff off our shelves. You can, we'll take you to the library. Um, you know, my dad would make us listen to like you know dick's picks grateful mm -hmm. dead in the car and so awesome. bruce springsteen in the car <laughs> so i just i in some ways i was very much molded by not having a choice about mm -hmm. <laughs> um what i had to listen to and then having like infinite choice of what was available for me to read that's awesome um and so yeah i also lament that for for my kids i'm like oh man <laughs> so i i've held on to all these books that i'm like you know i gotta have some just random crap for them to someday stumble upon yeah. i hope mm -hmm. <laughs> i hope i know we have that all over the house and as of yet there hasn't been an incident of what does this mean or what is this um because i feel like that was one of my favorite things to do was like stumble upon what my parents were reading and like peek into it like i remember the first sex scene i ever read was in a book that my dad had left on the back of the toilet and it was so graphic and like the people were having sex and as they were having sex they like squashed a bug between their bellies wow. and i just remember being like what what <laughs> like what are they doing why are they doing that and i feel like that that moment of not fully understanding makes it stay with you like you were saying with the voices carry song um it's it sort of like it makes your brain like go in all sorts of different directions trying to understand it or like what is scary like hush hush keep your voice you know keep it down now this is scary yeah because then you almost like i did i want i was trying to make up the rest of the story to like yeah. fill in the blanks for well what yeah what was scary why are they singing about it like i thought the song <laughs> and this was when i was 30 years old i thought the song <laughs> i'm going in by drake with lil wayne and young jeezy was about ghosts like I, and, and like, I thought like they were so scared they were trying to kill themselves. Like, I don't know where I got this, but I was actually on tour when I first heard it and it, it, it like blew my mind. I was like, these are like popular rappers singing about this heavy shit. And, then, and it like, it fueled me so much that I wrote three things you should know about Peggy Paula on the oh plane God. home. And when I finally got to a place where I could Google it, I looked up the lyrics and I was like, I am an idiot. But it was so, it was so like titillating for some reason. That, uh, confusion, sorry. confusion is no, so no. Yeah, Confusion, I was going to say that those like moments of misunderstanding um, and confusion, especially I guess engaging with like pop culture for me is where a lot of stuff comes from. Those moments mm -hmm. where I don't understand or have misunderstood something mm -hmm. seem to be really rich for me and as like in a creative way. Yeah. And that is something that I have seen my, my almost eight year old experience. And I, tr I just relish it. And like, you know, he's very, like he considers himself a 40 year old and he wants to be leveled with, he wants the actual truth, but I want to maintain this like naivete. I want to watch him like try to figure things out and like really, and I don't know, it's the, the human brain is, Something else you, so you said you, you do a lot of work in your head. Do you think that is, has how it's always been as, as a writer? Is that something that you've found yourself doing more now that you are a mom? I think there's always a piece of that. 
um, I take forever to mull things over and kind Mm -hmm. of, um, I see, I feel like I've taught workshops before and I feel like I'm just repeating things that I've said a million times, but you guys don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. We don't. Uh, it's it's like a rock tumbler and you have this sort of like chunky piece of rock that you put in there and that's the idea and then I have to let it tumble around and Mm -hmm. sometimes it tumbles for a little bit normally it tumbles for months or or even years Mm -hmm. um so I've always kind of had that slow burn of a process but then sometimes I have these like ridiculous miracle moments where I'm like I have this idea and like I wrote I feel like if I had like a greatest hits this is like my hit um (laughs) I I wrote a story called final girl slumber party Mm -hmm. um literally like in my car in the parking lot at my gym yes because I had this idea and then while I was at my gym I like saw the whole thing and so I, I sat there you know under the dome light in my Rolla and wrote the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going into my Rolla. (laughs) And that's happened to me like once or twice, but normally it's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of thinking until I feel like I said, I either have that outside thing that kind of unlocks it for me, or I feel like I, I get a first line Mm -hmm. and then usually I can go from there. And do you get it all out in one go if it's a flash piece? Usually, yes. Like, if I don't, I'm like, oh, this is bad. Yes. Like, it's, yes. it's not, Damn. if it doesn't have that momentum or if I can't finish it all in one go, it's like, it's almost, um, man, I didn't want to go there. I say it's almost it's like you got to finish mm-hmm. for you to feel <laughs> like it's done. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to reach that climax literally in the piece in order for me to feel like it has any kind of juice or momentum to go back to when you say climax are you talking about ghosts yes (laughs) always my son my son has recently started just when we're alone like if my husband's at yoga or a band practice or whatever he'll be like mommy the ghost is behind (laughs) you and i'll be like you little guy <laughs> what the? and i'm no, like it's not mommy's just gonna burn some sage real quick <laughs> like i know enough not to look behind me yeah but i'm always like there's no ghost there's no ghost. there's no ghost there's totally not a ghost dude what no they what? see people okay my daughter told me the other day she looked down into our return you know our um air return and she goes he's in there his, mm. name, his name nothing like, like, there's someone named nothing down there <laughs> and i was like that's great <laughs> they i swear they see ghosts the other day my four-year-old asked me i put this on twitter mom what happens after we undie hmm? i was like um tbd i don't know <laughs> you tell me oh yeah i i was telling my mom about that and i was like i just think they're you know they're more in touch with the other side and she's like oh definitely definitely my mom is like a hardcore catholic who is also like you know got like crystals and and thought i was gonna give birth during the great conjunction because our child will be christ-like and stuff like that like so my mom is probably the worst person to tell things like that too (laughs) megan can you uh can you share who you're named after oh golly yeah um uh i like many other megan's born in the mid 80s uh 
I'm named after Maggie, the main character from Thornbirds. Oh, wow. Uh, I have literally met like four other Megans. Just love my, that so much. My local county area who are also <laughs> named after her. Because um, I guess all the moms were, is that Richard Burton? We're like hot for Richard Burton. Um, you can't blame him for that. And it's just so, my mother is such a, de- she's a very devout Catholic and she was like, yes, I'm going to name my daughter after someone who bones a priest. Like, that is how, <laughs> how serious I am about this. My mom was strict, a very strict Mormon when she was about to have me. And she liked the name Lindsay, but she couldn't think of a middle name. And she was talking to her sister. And her sister was like, oh, yeah, I'm watching this like soap opera. And there's this evil, evil woman named Devin. And my mom was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> it's going to be Lindsay <laughs> <My> Devin. <God. laughs> I think of it as such a Chicago name, Lindsay, because I think of Devon and it's uh, yeah, like, it's such a Chicago, I don't know, uh, especially on the North side, it's just like everywhere. So I always think it's a Chicago name. Yeah. I never had heard of it pronounced Devon before. Right. Lindsay Devon. Lindsay Devon. <laughs> Are you able to get writing done at the library? Employers don't listen. If I mean, or is it the kind of thing where you're so busy at work where that's just not an option ever? Um, at this point, it is not an option. When I so I work at a library, but I'm not a librarian. I don't really. Um, well, I have been since since uh, the pandemic. I have been in a public facing role, mm. um, but I actually do development work. Oh, okay. Um, and I work with our donors. I do events for fundraising. Um, I write grants. Uh, Pennsylvania, I well, I promised myself I wouldn't go here, but I'm going here. Um, Pennsylvania libraries are uh, criminally underfunded. Mm. Um, so if we lived, if I lived literally probably in like any other state, my job wouldn't have to exist. Um, oh, wow. But a lot of the revenue that keeps our library open comes from um, donor relations and um, we do a lot of social enterprise work. So we run a coffee shop that oh, wow. directly supports the library. Um, we do passport processing. So I am also a passport agent and a fingerprinting agent. Whoa. Um, so we do passport processing. We do FBI fingerprinting clearances. Um, we were essentially like a library with um, many side hustles to so cool. keep ourselves afloat. Jeez. Megan, if people, <laughs> if people want to donate, where do they go? Um, you can visit etownpubliclibrary.org. We have a donate button at the top of the page. That's the library where I work. That's the next town over from where I live. Um, but really, if you wanted to support any public library in Pennsylvania, they could always use your support. If anyone donates to a public library and sends us proof, uh, we, Alex and I, or Alex or I, will send you a book. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, but so I was gonna say, I used to work um, in an archive for a, um, a, one of the religious organizations that became the UCC. Mm. Um, so there were a number of separate denominations that conglomerated in the 50s. So I worked at the archive for one of the old ones that's essentially non, non-existent at this point. Mm. Um, and when I worked there, I was the sole employee Oh my gosh. And I only worked part-time. I worked at two other libraries at the time. Jeez. Um, and so part of the character in the novel, um, I also worked at a college library and then I worked at a public library. Um, so that's a little bit based on me. 
Um, but there I did write because I could get the bulk of my work done in like two hours and then just kind of, I was just hanging in case anybody came mm -hmm. and wanted to do research. Um, so I used to write a lot when I worked there. How often did people want to come and do research? Not super often. Um, <laughs> it's very specific. So, um, it, where I live in Pennsylvania, the bulk of the like early settlers were German. Um, the church that I worked for was predominantly founded by people from Germany. Um, so it was often people who were trying to trace their roots to these um, German settlers in Pennsylvania. Wow. What, what's your hope and, and plan for, you know, I don't know, like I, I guess what keeps you connected to, to your writing, to your, to your, you know, like to getting the work done? Part of it is like the good thing about writing in my head so much is that it's sort of always going on a mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I guess the other part is that I do have fun with it. <laughs> it yes. feels, it feels like the place where I can just be like real weird. Yes. And um, tackle the things that I'm sort of obsessed with that I don't think, um, you know, I'm not going to like talk to the moms at daycare pickup about like what would happen if you became a gigantic woman and like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's like the weird things you think about mm -hmm. that you feel like I can't just like talk to a random stranger about this or even my husband sometimes. He's like, <laughs> I don't understand why this is a thing that you're obsessed with. And it's like, well, I don't understand why you listen to prog rock. So <laughs> we're, we're on even footing, man. Um, so it's a place that I feel in a lot of ways like I can be my weirdest self, which is often my truest self. Um, and there's no judgment there. And there's a lot of space to explore and to sort of play. And just... and you can always tell, like, as a reader, you can always tell when you're reading someone's work, like, oh, man, you know, like, they were having fun with this. And this feels vibrant. And this feels mm -hmm. alive, you know? And just authentic to themselves. I was, I was, I was mentioning to Tom McAllister like a week ago when I told him we were having you on, I was like, the thing about Megan's writing is, it is so Megan. And I don't even, I've never met you in person, but it's like, it's just, it's so like, it's just you. It's so clearly who you actually are. There's not any kind of, uh, you know, posturing or anything. It's just like, no one writes what you do. And it, it, it's so clear. And I think that's why so many people connect to your stuff so strongly. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of the things I've struggled with in some ways um, with my family and the way they respond to my writing with my parents are extremely supportive, but they're also like, why don't you write a children's book? <laughs> we were just talking about that last yeah. week with Juan. We yes. Were. Yep. Um, like, why don't you write about being a mom? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I tried to write about being a mom and it came out as a prose poem about the Bride of Frankenstein. So like, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think they think that, I'm not sure. I think they think that I can just kind of put these sort of really complicated feelings down in a straightforward way. And I want to be like, I am thinking about these complicated feelings. Like mm -hmm. I am thinking about motherhood 
but I'm not going to just write a story about like my sweet baby Walter, mm-hmm. who's my son, and you know the cute things he does because that's not necessarily my relationship to motherhood, right? Um, or yeah. like writing about being pregnant, and I'm like. I just I started working on this series of prose poems while I was pregnant about essentially like attack of the 50 foot woman mm-hmm. um, because it is a sort of like loss of control over your own body and like how do you move in the world when you don't feel like you don't fit in the world and things like that so it's like I am dealing with these things it's just yeah. not in the way that you expect me to mom and dad. I wonder too if there some of their difficulty with your work has to do with the form a lot of your work takes, just the compression, the fact that it's flash, a lot of it is flash, a lot of it is, you know, very tight. I, because I feel like a lot of people who aren't used to reading either short stories or even like, you know, short, short stories, it's like jarring to people like the intensity and I don't know, you're not getting just a story laid out for you in the way that maybe they're traditionally used to taking it in, reading whatever fiction they're into. My mom has called me and she was like, can you explain the end of this story to me? Oh my God. What happens? Is there really a monster? (sighs) What do they do after it's over? And I was like, I don't know. You tell me, mom. Yeah, I was like, what do you think, mom? In some ways, I I think- emails like that for sure. I think it's better for, for- um, family members not just not to read <laughs> their like if there's a writer in your family just don't don't read their stuff do you just agree? like cheer them on do you think that about spouses too me my I will say my husband has pretty much stopped reading my stuff because he's like I'm not your audience he's like I'm here for you did he say that did he yeah. use those words that basically he I was like this like, isn't for me um he was like i love you i support you i think you're amazing he's like but i don't get it no that's <laughs> i don't i, mean, I don't think it's ins- for me and i was like cool that's fine that's my exp- that's our ex- me and my, my wife she she'll sometimes read the stuff that's published occasionally i think she read my first book a couple years after it came out maybe half of it and it's just like it's just not a part of our day-to-day it's like right. not what we talk about it's like you know, we're talking about Real Housewives or our kids or like where we're getting pizza from. We are not talking about my mm-hmm. stupid writing. Yeah. My mother-in-law, hi Sue, she listens to these episodes and she um, like reads my stuff. She's very supportive. And she was telling Ben, my husband tonight, like uh, what she thought of the story that I read on the bonus episode that came out. Um, mm. And she was like, well, you know, right? You listen to it. And he was like, huh? <laughs> and it is, it's just like not, it's not part of our, not part of our jam, right? Like we have this yeah. very rich life that's like aside from that. That's my mother-in-law is also very supportive in, in a similar way. And she would, she bought my book and she read my book. Um, my husband runs a business with his family, so he sees them a lot. And I guess they were at work. And she was like, Megan is really angry. Oh, oh my God. My, my mom said that after dad came stuff. out. Some stuff. And, like, and he was like, Yeah, she's working through some things. 
<laughs> but he's he hasn't read he hasn't read my tap book and also i was like i don't think i'm that angry i thought that was fun and then i was like oh no wait i could see why michelle would think that i'm angry <laughs> oh uh, i guess i am pretty angry like sorry michelle <laughs> what woman isn't okay <laughs> Like, don't gaslight me, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just because they know me, you know, in the sort of capacity that they're my in-laws and yeah. um, not in the, like, the sort of full breadth and depth of my weirdness, right. that, that was pretty, I think, fairly jarring for her. And not in a negative way. She was like really connecting with it in some ways which is amazing and, and awesome yes. and, and she's so incredibly supportive um but just i in, in a lot of ways i'd rather you know have all the random people i've never met on twitter read stuff mm-hmm. than have my my mom or my in-laws or like um my husband ian's best friend his wife bought a copy of my book and i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> like, i don't want cassandra reading that <laughs> then yes. she'll know yeah we have to see them at the holidays like i don't there's just something about it that feels um feels so super vulnerable in a way that is less scary to show that part of me to strangers Mm -hmm. than it is to show it to the people who you know have have known me for years and years and years Mm -hmm. i totally feel that Anytime someone I know is like, I got your book. I'm like, oh, there goes our, <laughs> there goes our yeah, I was relationship. Like, it was really nice knowing you. Uh, I can never see you again. <laughs> God bless. Well, I have a game for us to play. And this is great for um, the fact that your family wants you to write a children's book. Oh, God. <laughs> it's oh, no. just a short little game that I thought would be fun. And it's inspired by the fact that my my son, Parker, my oldest son, and from the backseat of the car today was like, how do you spell annoying? And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, that would be such, like that is the title of the best children's book. Yes. <laughs> you know, like all those words, like how do you spell annoying? How do you smell, spell angry? How do you spell stupid? Anyway, I thought it would be fun if we played like a Mad Libs type game where I take the title of a um, pretty classic children's book and I just turn it into all blanks and we just fill them in and then that's the name of our children's book that we wrote today on this pod oh wow okay does that sound fun yes sure the only acceptable answer to that is yes <laughs> yeah we're trapped we are that. totally trapped so. <laughs> okay so this is four words wait i'm sorry i lied four five six seven eight this is eight words guys nope yeah. one two three this is seven words okay <laughs> at least this isn't called i'm a mathematician but (laughs) i was actually really good at math in high school okay okay (laughs) okay so megan i'm gonna give you the first one okay give me a number five okay all right uh alex give me an adjective uh large (laughs) <laughs> okay megan, megan give me a pl- <laughs> fucking kill give me, me. A, give me a plural noun megan bananas okay <laughs> okay um okay alex give me an ing verb god running <laughs> I 
Okay, Megan, give me a preposition. Oh no, is that like A? It's like over, under. Oh God, okay. Megan, just to be clear, I literally would have had to Google what a preposition was, so you are fine. So um, let's say on. Okay. All right, uh, Alex, give me a, an article. What is that? Oh, my an God. Article? I hate you. I really don't like you. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to give is... that. I'm just going to – that's going to be my word. All right, Alex, give me a noun. Okay. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's – I'm sorry, but that is a uh, proper noun. I can't accept okay. Jesus Christ. Uh, how about uh, bread? Okay, Bread. Okay, guys, bread. bread. We've written a children's book, and it's based on the classic Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed. Ours is called Five Large Bananas Running on the Bread. <laughs> okay, that would sell. It would, it's like a pandemic story because everyone's making banana bread. Exactly. Right? But also, like, man, I can just see this thing. I can see it, yeah. Yeah, five. Oh man, I had this bananas. for some reason. I was like, "Oh, this is like this is a five little monkeys thing." <laughs> I figured because you said five, and I was like, my "Oh, she knows." Bops. Okay, well, good. I'm oh, glad that I can't we, tell you, you are, how much. You thought, "Oh, she knows." <laughs> Listen, God. I have a two and a half year old, and five little monkeys is very much like a part of our lives. Oh no, I mean, we you know? we all have a two and a half year old. You are speaking my language, but <laughs> yeah. I just love it. It's just like, "Fuck, <laughs> she knows." She knows. <laughs> She's gonna ruin this. Jig oh, is up. <laughs> but it's great because we just wrote a children's book, okay? Oh, great. And we just need an illustrator and a publisher. Okay. Yeah. So if, if any of those types of people are listening, hit us up. Yeah, we got people. Five large bananas running on the bread. <laughs> a pandemic story. Uh, Megan, if people want to find you, where should they go? They can go to my website, which is Megan M E G H A N dash phillips p-h-i-l-l-i-p-s dot com or on twitter i am at m the letter m car phil which is just like a j-lo shortening of my full name but it's always <laughs> really uh mysterious to people so um m car isn't a car you drive phil as in hey phil how was your weekend um, <laughs> hey phil Perfect. And you can also order her book from Barrel House. Yes. So please do that. It's well worth it. There's only a couple left, I think. (gasps) Well, then they're just going to have to do a second printing. So just go for it. Oh, yeah. Um, Barrel House, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah, Barrel House. And some more, guys. (laughs) Thank you, Megan, so much for being here. Thank Thank you. you, I had so much fun. This This was was awesome. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh my god. <laughs> I I was legitimately laughing so hard as soon as you started saying like okay, a uh, plural adverb or whatever the fuck. I was like I literally want to kill Lindsay right now. <laughs> I was like fuck you. Oh my god. Also was, a plural was, adverb would be hilarious. I know. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like this is like math to me and I was laughing so hard because I was like this is my nightmare. But it was so fun, right? Oh no, I love it. No, don't don't misunderstand me. I fucking loved it, but I was just like I fucking hate Lindsay. <laughs> oh, that's my dream. Uh, uh, Megan, Megan was awesome. 
That was so fun. I hate when we have to end. These <laughs> She's things. the best. It's like, oh, you have a oh. life. Okay, fine. Oh my god, that was so fun. Yeah, I feel really lucky that we got to talk to her. A hundred percent. I mean, she is, and it was so clear, even just um, just talking to her. She is so herself. She's so comfortable with the things that she's passionate about, and it really does come through in her writing. And I think mm-hmm. honestly, that's why the people who have read her stuff respond so strongly. It's just like, it's right there. It's so clear. Yeah. I, uh, I'm always a fan of, of a flash writer, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like if, if you are a flash writer and then you write a novel, I'm going to love the shit out of that novel. I'm, I just know that I am. I mean, the opening that she read, that Mm -hmm. was, it was awesome. I, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I want to read that book. Absolutely. I want to, I want to go babysit her kids so she can finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going on that, Megan. We all want to read it. Cause my kids can fend for themselves. Yeah. They're fine. They're fine. I mean, Parker's almost eight. So that's practically fine. 18. So, <laughs> oh my God. How has your week been? Uh, I am hurtling towards some time off the first week of January. It's where my brain is focused and, uh, yeah, I feel pretty burnt out. I'm ready for the holidays to be done, just mm-hmm. work, just work wise and stuff. And, um, yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty fried. I'm just ready for some days off for sure. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I mean, I don't hear that because I don't no, but have you, a job. But, uh, but I, mean, I, I, I sympathize. Yeah, totally. Did you get work done? No. At no, all no, to no. all this week? No. Yeah. No. No, I didn't. I certainly did not. Did you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just, just going to be the same answer until it's not. But yeah, just still going on this editing, editing thing. The the thing that's been different is I, I reached like an end point on the computer. So I finally printed the thing out for the however manyth time. And I rediscovered what I like happens every time. It's like it really is so different going through the thing on paper and uh so that's been fun. It's been, it feels way more alive to me when it's like printed out and I'm reading mm-hmm. it out loud to myself mm-hmm. than off the screen. And I don't know if it's because like, you know, just I'm so used to like staring at my dumb phone or like my mm-hmm. laptop or something mm-hmm. that it really does feel more like a book if it's printed out or it feels like, you know, something that I have put an enormous amount of work into. Whereas I think you, it can be easy to kind of, dismiss your own work on a computer sometimes at least for me even though that's where I do 99% of my writing um so that's been kind of fun to go back through the thing on paper yeah I I printed my not the novel I'm working on now but the one I wrote last year right I printed it out um just like in the summer maybe uh and uh, it, I don't know. It just feels, it, it's true. It's just, it feels like actual work, like an actual thing that you, you made like right. tactile and like, Oh, it's page after like page on page on page on page, like a stack. It's like a big stack of work that I've done. And it does, it really reads differently. Yes. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before that Jamie Attenberg, every third draft she reads out loud to herself or maybe even just to other people, because that's also another way that, it feels different if you read, read it out loud. Oh my God. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, I think that's pretty brilliant. It's yeah. I think it really can. Uh, it just shows you if a sentence has snapped to it or not, because when yeah. you read, when you read 
when you read a sentence that even you're iffy on, I feel like it's just immediately revealed to be flat or to have some snap to it. Mm-hmm. It can like reveal the, the issue too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we mentioned on, when we were talking to Megan that if you, if anyone listening donates to, um, the public library that she was talking about or any public library in your town, um, that will send you a book. And the reason we said that is because Alex just came into a bunch of copies of his first book. Um, and so, and I have a bunch of copies of my books as well, except I don't have daddy's. I only have one copy of daddy. So I need to keep that for myself, um, to be buried with, um, but I have a bunch of copies of don't kiss me and ugly girls and eat only when you're hungry. So, um, Greg, I mean, Greg, I'm sorry. Most of you probably know it as Greg, the novel. <laughs> um, so if you guys donate to any public library, we will mail you a book and you can specify whose book you want. Cause I'm sure you want Alex's. Um, <laughs> but uh, Alex is going to read from that book to sort of, I was going to say wet your whistle. That's not the right Jesus. thing. Wet your appetite. Oh man! Tickle your pickle. What? <laughs> you are you're on you're on fire tonight, and it's terrifying. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know what? I took a micro nap. Oh, That's did what you? It is. Yes. What the fuck okay. is that? Fifteen minutes? Twenty minutes? No, I think it was literally forty-five seconds. Oh goddamn! Yeah, and it and listen, it worked. Yeah, clearly. Without further ado, Alex Higley. All right. So I was trying to figure out which of these stories that I wrote six or seven years ago to read to you. And I figured I'd read the one that is very short and in the second person because people get so worked up about second person. I don't really get it. Well, maybe um, it's because one time I was like, this is in second person and it was not in second person at all. It was just an <laughs> I talking to a you. Oh my God. Well, that's my no, fault. That's my fault. Knowing me, it could be, uh, that could be the same situation here. So. <laughs> Um, all right, so this is called No Door. You leave work five hours late. Your wife knows. You text her at lunch. You text her all day, like every day. She says, I'll be in bed. Try not to wake up, Jay. You stand in your cubicle and then sit back down because there's nothing else to do. It's raining. The car is fogged up and you hold your phone to your ear while driving full volume because you lost your headphones and want to listen to a podcast about why Trump won't win. It's comforting, but not really. When you park in the driveway, you push the car door closed, trying to make as imperceptible a sound as possible. The garage is too noisy for this time of night for Joey, who would wake up and scream if you heard its rumbling. You go in the front. You make your way slowly up the stairs, past the laundry, and past Joey's bedroom. The cat does not meow. You are embarrassed about owning a cat. You get into bed and your wife whispers, you lock the door? Now, you definitely lock the car. You remember trying the handle after pushing the door closed, but you were so focused on being quiet when coming in, it seems possible, very possible, you did not lock the front door. You consider a realistic worst case scenario and are immediately troubled that the word you plugged in before worst case scenario was realistic. Because of all the words to place before worst case scenario, realistic is the most terrifying. A less scary, bloody, rapey, murdery, cage in the basement word would have been likely. Because at least with likely, you are remembering all the days when you and your family have slept peacefully and awoken the next morning, marred only by your own drool and imaginations. All that daily fading as you and your son stand sleepily near your wife, eating her cereal, making faces in the small kitchen. 
But do past events, non-events, dictate future events, non-events? You will have that question in your head for less than a day and never arrive at an answer. A question you are able to answer is whether or not you lock the front door. You get out of bed now and check, it would be so easy, but you won't. And you could check the camera front two from your phone and see if, you're stall if you stalled at the door as you came in. The system you purchased does not have Zoom capabilities from your phone. You'd have to get out of bed and check on the computer for the Zoomed information. But again, you won't do it. And if you were going to get up and check on the computer, scrutinize pixels, you might as well just go downstairs and check the fucking door. But why are you so angry? There's a principle here somewhere. Why are you angry now? And why have you been angry all day, all week? Something has changed. You know it. You feel it. But inside yourself, there are only questions. And it occurs to you as your wife whispers, seriously, did you lock the door? That there is no relation between the safe nights you and your family of three plus the cat have spent here in this house and locking the door. That your safety, your family's safety, is a result of nothing. A result of no door at all. If someone or something wanted to get in the house, get to your family, they would find a way, regardless of any door. But you can't say this at 2 a.m. to your wife who is just asking a reasonable question, especially considering that you forget to do this kind of thing often. So you can't say what you'd like to say. It doesn't matter. But you want to make your point. Want there to be some tangible application of your new belief that locking the door has nothing to do with your family being alive. And so instead you ask, what kind of question is that? And you repeat your question because she says nothing. And you see, of course, she's already asleep. I love that. <laughs> and I love hearing you read. I, you know, thank you. I feel like I, I force you to read, but I'm glad that I do because <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you. <clears throat> so what do you have? I do have a little something. Um, Good. Alex, did you say the name of your book? It is called Cardinal. If you guys want a copy of Cardinal, donate. Or maybe we'll even have some other kind of giveaway sure. to be determined. I just have a little something um, from, from the novel that I'm working on. And it's, um, you know, it jumps around from perspective to perspective. This one is from the perspective of the daughter of the murdered woman. This is before she gets murdered, though. Okay. Cece woke, breathed in. She could still smell it or not smell it exactly. More like she could sense it in a way that felt like a smell, like how you knew someone was going to have bad breath before they leaned in and whispered an old coffee and sleep smacked you in the face. More and more, she was having these kinds of senses, this, the kinds she didn't want. Her friend Victoria claimed she was psychic, could tell who liked who before they even knew. And Cece had once watched something she found flipping through in the middle of the night where a man could levitate items just by looking at them. And both of those examples seemed like much more useful abilities. Instead, she was stuck with the one she had, which she had begun thinking of as the dread. Sometimes she also felt it in her crotch. She looked out her window toward Jason's house at the sliver of his window. She could barely, she could just barely see without sitting up and being all obvious about it, but it was dark. Downstairs was quiet. She stood in the kitchen in her t-shirt and underwear, the tile freezing cold through her socks. Her father cranked the air conditioning as a matter of principle. She wasn't hungry. Lately, she couldn't even remember what it felt like to be hungry. Eating? What was the point? You'd just have to do it all over again in a matter of hours. Her parents' door was closed. She imagined her mother curled into a sea under the thin quilt, her fists bunched at her chin, protecting herself even in unconsciousness. 
from what? That's what Cece couldn't put her finger on. In reality, her mother was probably tightly cocooned against Cece's father, their fingers intertwined. Cece had stopped trusting him was the thing. It was her in the sea, her with the fists. She settled on dry cereal. That way she could pick at it for as long as she wanted without worrying it'd get soggy. She flopped onto the couch and held her bowl between her thighs. The sun was level with the sliding glass doors, flooding the family room with light the color of butterscotch. Their house was a mirror twin of the Newsom's house, the same floor plan and everything, though Jacqueline, previously Miss Jackie, before she lost the weight, preferred rustic decor while Cece's parents seemed to buy sets from the furniture store, right down to framed geometric prints in blues and grays. Meanwhile, Jacqueline had hung a headdress in the bathroom, a dream catcher over the dining table. Cece had started to wonder why they were best friends, her mother and Jacqueline. When she was younger, it was a given. If they were going someplace, the park or to mini golf, the McDonald's, or just to sit in the driveway kicking a ball around, they were going together. Miss Jackie and her boys and Cece and her mother. It was all Cece could remember. People often asked if they were sisters, though Cece's mother was fair and small and Miss Jackie had dark curly hair and big shoulders and thighs and a big mouth. They linked arms and put their heads together and roared with laughter. Now, though... Cece didn't have a sibling, so she didn't know for sure, but it seemed like what happened when siblings fought, when there was a break that wouldn't mend. Douglas and Jason were like that, had been since Douglas had turned 13. One couldn't say anything right to the other. Jacqueline is always rolling her eyes, Cece's mother crossing her arms and sighing all the time. It had something to do with the husbands, because when they were around Jacqueline, because when they were around, Jacqueline and Cece's mother faked it, nudging each other and screeching like always. The sun had slipped upward and Cece's face felt tired, like she'd splashed it with cold water. She heard the toilet flushing in her parents' bathroom and hoped it was her mother who was awake. Jason knew too, Cece could tell, about the dread. They were so careful with each other now. She imagined Jason on his own sofa with his own bowl and she had to stop there because imagining it, imagining it against his own bare thighs made her hands shake. She got up to look at herself in the mirror her mother had hung in the foyer. Was she pretty? She had okay hair, thick and wavy, but the color was whatever, kind of brown, kind of red, a small gap in her teeth she'd begun hiding when she smiled, cute nose, some freckles, normal lips. Her best feature were her eyes, which were green, genuinely green, deep jade even, and when the sun hit them, they could be as pale as celery. She turned her head to the side and looked at her own profile. Should she look at Jason like this next time? See anything you like, her father asked. Cece whipped around, filling with equal parts shame at being caught mid-vanity and disgust at her father's bare legs, disturbingly hairless and muscular, his boxer shorts that hit three inches above his tan lines. He held up his hands like she was charging at him. Whoa there, it was just a joke, sweetheart. She refused to turn to see what look she had on her face. She knew it was something hard, possibly ugly. They just no longer knew what to make of each other. She'd read the books about disaffected teens and their raging or sorrowful or negligent parents. She'd seen Douglas and now Jason, how their dad didn't play catch with them anymore and no one hugged. It was happening here now in her own home. She could trace it back to the day she'd gotten her first period, how her mother told her father as soon as he walked in the door, how he looked at Cece like she'd just farted in church. Should he laugh? Should he warn her? Ignore it? Soon after that, she grabbed his hand standing in line at the food court in the mall, something they did all the time, hold hands, but he shook her off. She got the message. She wasn't a little girl anymore, and that wasn't something he signed up for. We're learning about skin cancer in bio, she said. I thought I had a spot. Gotcha, he said, already making his way into the kitchen. Come talk to me, kid, he said, but she was already following him, and that was something she hadn't read in the books before, how families just naturally fell into rhythms despite themselves, how they tried and tried again to relate even when they were messing it all up. Like right now, Cece was annoyed with herself. He was gross, but he was her dad, but he was gross, but 
He was humming to himself, tinkering with the coffee maker. He'd become obsessed with the perfect cup. Before that, it was wine. Before that, it was gardening. Before that, it was stereo equipment. Before that, it was bicycles. The man had to have something to perfect. Are you singing? Cece stopped herself. What are you singing? I don't know the name of it, he said. The sunlight streaming in from the window lit his face and made his eyes sparkle, his stubble glinty. But his hair, now the color of the cocoa powder her mother baked with, was flat. She wanted to find a way to tell him, to help him understand that it wasn't doing him any favors, but she ached at the thought of him feeling ashamed. It's on the radio all the time, though, he said. He leveled the coffee scoop with the flat end of a butter knife, the excess grinds falling into the sink. They'd stay there until Cece's mother came to wash them down the drain, proof that he didn't notice everything. How do you even know that song? Her voice was bitchier than she intended. What do we have on the agenda today, he asked. The agenda. He loved to talk like he was lording around some office. I don't know. I have a paper to write, but it's easy. She knew, he suggest, she, she knew he'd suggest she ride her bike, get outside. It was like he was worried if anyone sat still for too long, they'd turn to dust. It's too hot. Maybe we can play catch later, he said, before I have to leave. She'd forgotten. He was leaving for California for a week, some conference where he'd pass out his business cards. As a kid, she loved them, how they were so thick and textured, how they said his name in bold print, how they almost felt spendable and throw his head back to laugh at dim jokes and roll his shirt sleeves up immediately because it made him feel both approachable and hardworking. Why did she know this and how? She just did. She'd seen him, watched him over the years at various events. He was a guy who saw himself from the outside first. Sure, she said, it could happen. It probably wouldn't, but leaving the possibility open seemed to help ease whatever shittiness hung in the air, at least for the moment. She reached over and grabbed the loaf of bread on the counter, tossed it to him. Will you make me your toast? She eats, he asked, clutching the loaf to his heart. Toast tastes better when someone else makes it for you. It's a fact. I see. He hummed again while he toasted the bread and while he slathered half, slathered half a stick of butter on. Jelly? Of course. It did feel good sometimes to have a father. Father being someone who knew you, the rumpled, unadorned you, and had to love you no matter what. It sometimes felt like you were both whipping around a skating rink, flying past each other, a waving blur, and then you both slowed down at the exact same time and glided together for a while. Inevitably, someone sped up, became a blur again, but there was the promise, the hope of that momentary sinking up. They ate over the wrong plates, but only Cece's mother would notice that. That's it. Oh my God, I love that one. Normal like lips and uh, eyes, is the palest celery line. Oh my God. Thanks, man. I feel like it's more, um, it's less dark than I usually go for. Yeah, but it's also like, I mean, the whole stuff, when it started getting in between the daughter and the dad and the, the hand in the food court and then the return to a rhythm in the kitchen, it was still scary. <laughs> <laughs> I know, as a parent, I know. I, I was just like, oh, God. I feel sick about that all the time. I remember being a teenager. It was not pretty. Well... I mean, I, I hope to get some work done this week. You will. I feel it. Well, thank you. Uh, Parker has camp, so hopefully I can steal some some moments here and there. There you go. What about you? You got to get through the hell week. Yeah, but it's it's coming up. I mean, like, so just today's December 27th. I just got to get to New Year's Eve, and I'm fine. So Okay, you can do it. It's coming up. I can yep. do it. Yeah, I'm fine. All right, awesome. bud. So talk to you soon. Talk to everyone soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
I'm a Writer But is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. <laughs>